Welcome to the Sensemaking in a Changing World podcast, where we explore the kind of thinking we need to navigate a positive way forward. I'm your host, Maura Gamble, permaculture educator and global ambassador, filmmaker, eco-villager, food forester, mother, practivist, and all-round lover of thinking, communicating, and acting regeneratively. For a long time, it's been clear to me that to shift trajectory to a thriving one-planet way of life, we first need to shift our thinking. The way we perceive ourselves in relation to nature, self, and community is the core. So this is true now more than ever, and even the way change is changing is changing. Unprecedented changes are happening all around us at a rapid pace. So how do we make sense of this? To know which way to turn, to know what action to focus on, so our efforts are worthwhile and nourishing and are working towards resilience, regeneration and reconnection. What better way to make sense than to join together with others in open, generative conversation? In this podcast, I'll share conversations with my friends and colleagues, people who inspire and challenge me in their ways of thinking, connecting and acting. These wonderful people are thinkers, doers, activists, scholars, writers, leaders, farmers, educators, people whose work informs permaculture and spark the imagination of of what a post-COVID, climate-resilient, socially just future could look like. Their ideas and projects help us to make sense in this changing world, to compost and digest the ideas, and to nurture the fertile ground for new ideas, connections and actions. Together we'll open up conversations in the world of permaculture design, regenerative thinking, community action, earth repair, eco-literacy and much more. I can't wait to share these conversations with you. Over the last three decades of personally making sense of the multiple crises we face, I always return to the practical and positive world of permaculture with its ethics of earth care, people care and fair share. I've seen firsthand how adaptable and responsive it can be in all contexts, from urban to rural, from refugee camps to suburbs. It helps people make sense of what's happening around them and to learn accessible design tools to shape their habitat positively and to contribute to cultural and ecological regeneration. This is why I've created the Permaculture Educators Program, to help thousands of people to become permaculture teachers everywhere through an interactive online dual certificate of permaculture design and teaching. We sponsor global perma-youth programs, women's self-help groups in the global south, and teens in refugee camps. So anyway, this podcast is sponsored by the Permaculture Education Institute and our Permaculture Educators Program. If you'd like to find more about permaculture, I've created a four-part permaculture video series to explain what permaculture is and, and also how you can make it your livelihood as well as your way of life. We'd love to invite you to join our wonderfully inspiring, friendly and supportive global learning community. So I welcome you to share each of these conversations and I'd also like to suggest you create a local conversation circle to explore the ideas shared in each show and discuss together how this makes sense in your local community and environment. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I meet and speak with you today, the Gubby Gubby people, and pay my respects to their elders past present and emerging. Oh, we You're in for a treat today. My guest is Brett Cooper from Limestone Permaculture, a one-acre permaculture farm near Newcastle in Australia. This is a story of how he and his family moved from the city and full-time work and a business into living full-time on their small farm. It's a journey of determination as well as clarity of purpose and vision. There's just so many different aspects to this story that Brett shares, which I know you're just going to love. It was such a wonderful time chatting with Brett, and I really encourage you to follow a number of the links that we've popped down below so you can see more about the work that Brett does and see some of the films that are being made at Limestone Permaculture. Enjoy. Thanks so much for joining me today on the show, Brett. just for listeners, Brett and his and his wife Nicole, um, or Nick. Do, do you call her Nick or Nicole? Nicky, yeah. Nicky, yeah. So, so they run a, a place called Limestone Permaculture, and Limestone Permaculture is a a one acre permaculture farm about an hour north of Newcastle on the east coast of Australia. And I I was so excited about talking to Brett today because. 
it's a remarkable story. Like on this show, we talk about, you know, sense making in a changing world. And what Brent and Nikki have done is really make sense of, you know, what's going on in their life, what's going on in the bigger picture of what's happening on the planet, and transformed basically a one acre paddock into this thriving permaculture farm that's their full time work, um, their, their family life. And you may have seen some of the, the um, happen films. Um, about their place. And I, I'll put the links down below in the show notes and I highly encourage you to have a look at them to kind of get a visual image of what we're talking about. But thanks for joining me, Brett. I wanted to start out by asking you, how did you find permaculture or how did permaculture find you in the first instance? Like where did it, where did it begin for you? Well, first of all, thanks, Maura, for having me on. Fantastic. And, um, look, you know, Permaculture kicks in for you know many of us after talking to many of our visitors and students. We all seem to have very similar stories. Um, you know, for us, it was it was to do with um, just realizing, just having those little moments that we weren't uh, eating as well as we should have been, and and then finding out my wife had uh, ailments that were, you know, immune issues, and you know there was some deficiencies there and whatnot. So, you know, these things. It was it crept up on us, you know. It was it wasn't something that just went oh bang here's permaculture. It it basically started with just trying to grow, uh, just wanting to consume um, better quality food. That's where it sort of kicked off. So, I mean, that would have been getting close to twenty years ago now, um, and um, you know that was back in um, back in the day when we had a little place in Mayfield in Newcastle, three hundred and thirty square meters, which we end up turning into a little permaculture. Um, uh, property called the Urban Squeeze, and um, uh, you know we started off just basically um, doing a little bit of gardening, finding out about our local um, community gardens, and then um, one thing led to another. Before I knew it, I was a coordinator of the community gardens, and 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 all of a sudden I'm you know I'm, I'm researching, I'm doing courses, I'm doing workshops, and and this you know I, it was years later when I went oh wow I've done that, but. You know, it was it was something that crept up on us, but initially it was more to do with our health, and then everything else evolved around that. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? And I think, I think I, I find it interesting too. You saying how it crept up on you, you just find yourself immersed in it over time, and 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 health is one of the major major reasons why why so many people get into it, and and like you're saying, you know, you. You go into the store, and you know if you if you have a health issue, what is the food that you actually really want to eat from there? Like, what is the stuff that's going to nourish you? And we all know that the best stuff comes out of the most beautiful, most healthy soil, and as freshly picked as possible, and you know, infused with love of growing it, and <laughs> and all of that. You know, so so that's fantastic. Um, I also. You you mentioned to I think in the film you were talking about how permacultures has changed you. Like, how do you think it's changed? Like changed yeah. you, or maybe and and your family as well. well this how leads you- off your first question, really. So if you think about that, when I found permaculture, I, I found it coming in from a, a health impact. Um, you know, we, we know permaculture is much much more than all that, but it, that's where it kicked off. For us and so and so for us when we say it changed us um it, it brought about a, a a new thinking so it brought it brought um a new line of thinking of, of, of actually more awareness and i know it's something that's thrown around a little bit but it, it needs to be so the idea of of awareness of of what's going on culturally what's going on socially what's going on um you know throughout throughout land through the demographics of of, of people the whole package it was it was one of those things that we were a little bit eyes shut. Well, we were probably mostly eyes shut. Um, and you know, it, it, it the initial thing was health. It, it 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 flagged it for us. It opened our eyes, and then you know, it brought us into that situation where we got to pick up these books and read them. We got to check websites out. And before we know it, we're we're delving much farther and much deeper than than health. So um, permaculture changed us at every level. And then it, it got to a stage where we spent the best part of 
probably nine near close to 10 years in Newcastle building up an urban scenario. So it started with health and we, and we ended up getting to the stage where we were actually having open days and we were doing that kind of thing. So then we had this realisation that we felt that we wanted to be educators. We thought that um, we could have much more to offer if we could show demonstration. And demonstration was one thing good in the urban area. That was great. And there was a lot going on where we were. Um, and then we thought, right, well, let's move towards a semi-rural, peri-urban, you know, that, that in-between zone, which we're at, um, where we could sort of show farmers what, uh, what, what potentially was for their farm and homestead and, and urban and suburban, what the potential was um, for their yards, backyards and, and, and urban homesteads. So this was a, a really directed move. Like we really got there and sat down and we started thinking and planning. And yes, permaculture was all part of that idealism of, of actually taking your time, not just observing like everybody talks about out in the open, but observing within. So getting there and going, right, what do we want? What's our vision? What's our, what's our context? What's our holistic context, right? So so we, we, we got there and we really put some emphasis in, in, in our family sitting down at the dinner table and going, where are we? What are we doing? Where do we want to be? You know, and, and so we started planning and it even meant that we changed our jobs. So, um, you know, I was a builder and um, I knew that I couldn't, you know, I, I knew that with what I was doing, being a builder and doing administration at night and working, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 hours a day it was going to be hard to try and fit something else in. So the problem was the solution. I had to find a job that brought it back to a nine-to-five job you know, or something where I wasn't caught up with my own admin. So I went, I changed from being a builder of my own business. It was only a little, tiny little business, but I, I moved into a, a job and and I took risks. I took gambles like, you know, like everybody, I was, I was basically fluffing my way through and just, you know, <laughs> just trying to, trying to find a job that had nothing to do with making big pay or anything like this. It was something that gave me time, time to think, time to plan, time to put more time with my family about where we're going to be in the future. And, and that was a real thing to us. So when you say permaculture changes, it hasn't stopped changing it. We haven't. This is just, and you know, you would be in the same boat and everybody who has taken on permaculture in their life would be in that same situation. It, 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 it just continually evolves, continually changes, and it's what you get excited about. It's what you wake up in the morning for. You know, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, <laughs> I, and you, you kind of open up to one of the other questions that I wanted to ask you about the transition because I know that, you know, as you're saying, you were running your own business and fully immersed in that, um, and then, you know, that's really interesting what you're saying about taking on a job, knowing that that was a transitionary stage. Like that wasn't your, you know, that was the thing you're going to do forever, that you, that was a step towards creating something else. But this whole idea of, of transition from being fully immersed in a, in a business or a job to being on a farm and that being your full-time work. You know, you know I, I do a lot of work with young young students. I get school. I've actually got a group coming up on the weekend. Uh, actually, Thursday, Friday, a group coming up of uh, high school kids. You know, who are doing a permaculture camp here, and I quite often ask them things like, "Oh, you know, so who's interested in being a farmer or a grower?" It's like, you know, everyone's sitting on their hands. Like, no. Although I have to say, it's changing a little bit. Uh, you know, there's more people starting to go actually. It's starting to look kind of really interesting. But I wonder, for you, that process of transition, like what are some of the, the I don't know, the tips or the hacks or the advice of making that transition? Like a lot of people dream about what you're doing, you know, having a nice property in the country, making a living off a farm, yeah. and you're doing it on one acre. Like, yeah. How do you do that? Um, look, again, Oh, it, we actually talk about this in our courses and we talk about it on our, you know, even on our open days and farm tours. Um, it all comes, it all stems back to, first of all, um, you know, taking the time to have a have some kind of vision, some kind of core intention. And so you first of all, you've got to acknowledge that you're 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 looking for something more in your life. You, you know, you're aiming for something more. And there's a lot of us, oh look, I think nearly everybody does, right? Um, 
So that's that's the initial part, and then and then going with using using permaculture principles to actually guide you. So so take those principles, um, and you and they can be used in all different ways. But take those principles and then use them in the planning process of of your future, of your of your vision, right? So so for us, when we were sitting around the table back in 2007 and saying, "Hey, we want to move out of the city and live in the country." We had a lot. We've, we, you know, we've got a mortgage back back in there. The actual mortgage was higher back then. Living in the cities is more expensive. Um, so we were, you know, we had a mortgage there, and, and we were trying to work out how can we do all this, and you know, actually pull our kids out of school. And there was so much to this. And so we sat down and we just put pen to paper, and we just planned out. We had right out. What have we? What have we got? What have we got right now? And when I say what have we got, I meant. Not just in the physical terms, but what have we got, you know, socially, you know, have we had a good neighborhood, you know, what, what have we got right now? Then what do we want? And what and and oh sorry, then what do we need? And then what's our wishes, right? So what do we need? Well, we'd like a bit more space. Um, you know, we'd 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 love to take our neighbors with us, but that couldn't happen. But we, you know, we wanted a bit more space, we wanted to be able to do more, and we wanted to be able to give more back. And then the the wish list was, well. Can we afford? Could we somehow get a loan and get that? Could you know what the wish is like? Being able to do it, but have have that have that ability to do that. So the the transition for us was taking those steps early and and just simply putting pen to paper. And one of the things people can do right now, and this is what we talk about all the time, is you're not going to achieve anything in the future, like five years down the track, if you don't start thinking about it and planning for it now. You've got to do it, and that's. That should be exciting to them. It shouldn't be overwhelming. It shouldn't be scary. It should be absolutely exciting. You know, you should be, it's like thinking about going on a holiday, but this is a lifelong holiday, right? <laughs> so, you know, so so ideally, you know, for us, I, you know, it was that thought, well, I need to change my job. My wife needed to change her job. Now, you know, sometimes you can get lucky. Some, you know, some sometimes you have the privilege of, of being able to change jobs quite easily, you may have you may have certain academics, or there may be some scenario, and then other times you've really got to give it a, a big go, and sometimes you've got to take a risk. Well, we took some risks, um, you know, we took some pretty serious risks, and 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 we, I wouldn't say that we were lucky. We forced them, we made them happen. So even when I moved to my next job, um, it was a job that I'd never done before. I'd never worked in any form of Coordinating or measurements, and I and I basically, uh, what would you say? I, I made it look better than it was to get in there. And but then I grew into the job, and I used the job as a stepping stone. So again, when you're thinking about your planning, everything is a stepping stone to where you want to be, right? So I used the job as a stepping stone, and then more. The more I read, the more I started to understand the principles, and I utilized them into everything I was doing. So I got to the stage where I was getting more confident, and and and. Whilst I still didn't know all the things I needed to know, maybe to be on the land and all this kind of thing, it was all in sequence and it was all transitionary to get to that point. So then by 2007, we've got up to 2010 and all of a sudden we've got our, at 2009, we've got our house on the market. We still don't own it. It's a mortgaged house, right? But we've managed to get enough from the house to pay that back but and left us with just enough to get the deposit to get the the next place and have a mortgage for that but the good news was that moving it moving a little bit further out of the city just gave us that chance it was a little bit cheaper so it actually one of the thoughts patterns for us was how could we get out of debt you know that's the other thing how do you reduce your debt and we made some stupid mistakes when we were younger Mm -hmm. um you know we paid for them early but we've working our way back out of that now so everything was about all these little steps and all these things that can only be um, acknowledged if you actually put them out in front of yourself, in, in front of your partner, in front of your family, your friends, whatever it is, whoever you're trying to work in with. And uh, and that transitioning thing worked its way all the way up to the end of 2017 when we've been here. So 2010 to 2017, and that job did its job. I stayed with that job right through to that 2017, so it was nearly 10 years at that job, and uh, it did exactly what I, I, I planned and hoped it did. I mean, we can talk about it with all honesty, and and the reality was that at the end of 2017, I walked up to my boss and I shook his hand, 
And I said, thank you very much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Bye-bye. And we made the transition over into um, our, own, uh, our farm. But during that time, from the moment we moved onto the farm to the point of 2017, we actually had um, built the, the planning and design of the property. And whilst that was happening, so we were only getting afternoons and weekends to make this happen because we were doing 50-hour weeks, both of us, um, with young kids. So. Um, we're doing 50-hour weeks, and, and essentially what we did was at the same time, by about 2012, we started bringing in the business model. And, you know, again, we self-taught ourselves. We didn't know how to run a website. We had no idea what Facebook was. You know, all these things are self-done. We built our own website. We worked everything out ourselves. We researched. We studied. And when people ask, what does this all mean to get to that transition? What does it all mean to, to transition? It means research, assessing, analyzing. You know, observation. You need to you need to put your effort into this to get a good outcome. You know, you've got to put time. These things aren't going to come to you on a spoon. You know, so yeah, I, think, I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot I'm, more to it. But that's yeah. you know, these are the things that we had to go through. Yeah. No, I think you. I think you've. I think you've really explained that that well. You know, a permaculture life and and what your the kind of life that you've created comes from comes from that really clear intent and a, and a lot of hard work and that that idea that that there needs to be steps along the way it's not like just jumping in right now and this is exactly how it is that that you kind of see that bigger picture and you map it out together and you do the all those you do the groundwork you, you do, do a design yeah. on your life and yeah. and I, I was wondering about how in all of that too um oh, oh just before that I was just thinking it, it kind of it's almost like you've You've tuned your brain into a certain pattern to be receptive to learning different things, seeing certain opportunities, and that everything is kind of tuned in. It's like a, your perception of, of the world shifts from having these particular goals to having these. And so everything that you're doing in your life is then sort of aimed towards that direction. I was, what I was going to ask you, though, was about, about your kids. So you, did you say you got two kids? Yeah, well, one's not a kid anymore, I should say. So one's 25 and six foot high. Oh, but, um, you know, like they must have started in this process young. They so did. how did they, they did. feel about this process of moving out of the city to the country and all of that? What, how did they, well, what were their needs that they asked for in, in the process of all of this? Yeah, honestly, Maura, you know, um, we could definitely do this for about three days. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, the impacts are profound. Right, so he, so if you can imagine, my, my kids are ten years apart. So my boy was fourteen years old, and my daughter was three and a half um, when we moved up. And so my son uh, was in a school in Newcastle that had fifteen hundred kids, mm. right? And sometimes kids can get a little bit lost in that, right? When he moved up here, he moved up to Gloucester High. He went to Gloucester High, and then um, that was two hundred kids. Wow. And when he walked into the when when he walked into his first day in his classroom, they all stood up and went and shook his hand. Right? Wow! Well, so, I just got shivers down yeah, my spine. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it still brings a tear to me. I just about it was amazing, absolutely amazing. So, so my daughter didn't know the difference too much, right? She lived. We had a beautiful little uh, courtyard that had pumpkins growing overhead and waves of all kinds of stuff, pawpaws and everything. So she knew no different. She just went from green to green. <laughs> um, but my boy definitely took it in. So it was interesting because we got to see what a four, you know, nearly a four-year-old to a fourteen-year-old, and you know, pulling a, 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 a young person out of school it's a big impact. He had friends, you know, and and there were some big, big talks and decisions we had to make. But we brought him up just when we were getting close to wanting to purchase the little one-acre. And he, he walked out onto the grass and I said, can you imagine riding your bike around here? Can you imagine? You know, we got him, I got him trying to envision himself playing there. And he turned around to me after, you know, after being there for about half an hour, three quarters an hour, and he goes, and he was 14, so he could talk like a 14, right? He said, I can do this, Dad. Wow. And I went, awesome. Wow. So it made it, it made it much easier. I, I imagine that if, they were, you know, you could be more locked in uh, in the cities, but um, he had he left the year. He was in a soccer team, and he, you know there was things he left. Mm -hmm. uh, but he moved on, and he's moved on in a big way. He ended up 
you end up going to year 12 in Gloucester and showing cattle and winning awards and, <laughs> you know, and, and now he's an apprentice landscaper and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. You know, this it's things move and change in funny directions and we're also big believers in the universe too. So it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's it's amazing. If you can keep moving forward, if you can keep feeling positive and, and just keep doing the little things, it's amazing how sometimes the big things can follow. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. I totally agree. Now, I, I wonder whether you could kind of, I, you know, it's so much easier to show, but I wonder whether you could describe what it is that that happens on your farm. I mean, for, I, there's something I heard on your film, and you can correct me if I, I misheard this, but so it's one acre and you can feed up to like 100 people off this piece of land. <laughs> Yeah, look, I got a little bit carried away back in the day. In 2015, when we had Happen Films come in um, for the first one, uh, our farm was only like, you know, partway there. And I got a little bit excited. And during my excitement while being filmed, I, I, I said that we fed 50 families, right? What was meant to be said at the time. And, 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 and Happen Films rectified it, but it was too late, right? <laughs> So um, it was my fault. I, I got there and I said, we feed, feed a, um, 50 families. What I was meant to say is what we assisted in feeding people. So we were, yeah. we were getting 50 families worth of people buying from our farm gate and bartering and all this kind of thing. But, yeah, we weren't feeding 50 people each. Yeah. Week, so. Well, yeah. you know, it, uh, regardless, that's, that's an impressive thing. Like you're talking, you've got one acre. The whole one acre is, mm-hmm. is fully productive. And you have you have animal systems, you have um, food forest systems, you've got zone one systems. Maybe just like walk us through some of the things that you've got there, and some of the really like particularly. I'm really interested to hear how you described your farm. It's like an ecosystem, you know. It's it's like nature's come alive in your farm, yeah. going from a paddock to what you've got. Yeah. Maybe just, yeah, tell me what are some of your favourite parts of, of this farm of yours. So I'll try and bring this down to the short the short side. We <laughs> <laughs> um, can talk for yeah, days look, about this too, I'm sure. <laughs> anybody that visits us knows that I can talk. So, yeah. <laughs> so look, um, essentially, first off the bat, on average, we've got 130 animals and 500 fruit and nut trees. Um, it's not about how that's that sounds a little bit overwhelming to people, and they go, "Oh my God, 130 animals, you know, 500 fruit nut trees." It's not about that. We have that's just the way it's evolved. Like it's got to that stage. Um, we never said, "Hey, we want 500 fruit nut trees." That's just where it's evolved to. So we would have been happy with 100, like, you know. Um, so what we found out was the more we delved into um, the stacked functions and the and and really getting nitty-gritty with intensive systems that were regenerative and, and beneficial to each other, the more we found that we could just keep fitting more in there. And, they were, and then they were just working towards each other. So um, it, it has been it's been mind-bending for us. I mean, we still wake up in the morning and grab a cuppa and sit down on the back and just look at that and just go, wow. And we get excited when when the first type of fruit of a particular tree comes on and you know, my wife is flat out always fermenting and preserving and all this kind of thing. But the reality is the farm itself has become so complex. It is so full of complexity, right? So I suppose, you know, for those listening, you know, when you think about us humans, and you'll hear this in holistic management, um, that, you know, us humans are really good with complicated stuff. You know, we're, we're good with working with linear and mechanical and we're, we're fabulous, right? Complexity. In the in the in the bio, uh, you know, on the ecological side of things, um, is where we sort of come a little bit undone, generally speaking, right? If you can con- if you can combine the both, if you can bring some of that com- complicated thinking into that complexity, you can start to you can start to interweave some of these systems that are just for me. That's the way I have to think. So I'm a carpenter, right? And you know, I'm, I'm a tradesman. You know, I am not a horticulturalist or a botanist or anything like that. Um, but I've I've just brought what I've learned in the past in to support what I'm learning now to help me get to the stage where the, the farm has got systems in place now that are doing so many functions. To give some examples, um, you know, we've got systems in place in the front. When we first got to the, the farm, 
we um, we had our, one of our worst winds within the first four months. It was uh, nearly 110 kilometre gusts and on average 90k winds. Now it picked up our first glass house and threw it down the valley. Right? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, like we, we we were learning hard and fast. Now I placed it in the right position. Right, it was on the downhill side of the west, and you know we looked at all that. You know, we're all based on site sector analysis and the rest, but the planning still hadn't, like I'd only done part of the planning. So the reality is, is that the the system now is set up that we've now managed to get the wind going over the top of our property. The whole property now has got a filtering effect down low and a buffering effect up high. Everything is multifunctional, as you would expect in permaculture. So we've got our vertical tree for, uh, crops. We have our chop and drop. We have our um, our fodder. We have our um, you know our actual edibility for us. So there's stuff that we can pick from it, and we've been really precise um, and, and, and really definite in the way we think about what's going into the place. Um, we're also part of the Karua land care, so we're always thinking about weed species. You know, again, our idea of weed species, we won't get down that avenue, but we understand what the difference is there. But, yeah, so essentially a lot of thinking went into play and it's evolved as it's gone. So we had um, a design that got us to the stage where we could pro- provide protection and stability. And and if anybody was to ask me, what was one of the key things you want on your property? And the first thing that comes to people's minds is, I need a kitchen garden, I need to eat. And I go, yeah, that's that's great. But, but what are you going to do to protect it? Right. So now what I can talk to people about when I, so I say you need to bring stability into an environment, whatever environment that is, even if it's a grass paddock, you need to bring stability into that environment to then be able to um, evolve from that, use that edge effect, you know, build from that. And, and, and once you've got stability, there's not much you can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 you can do all different types of market climbs. You can grow on either side. You can do whatever you want to do. Um, but the reality is, is that the the systems we now got has 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 got it in place that it's so um, what's the word I'm looking for it's 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 grayed over in such a way that there's no defining line between going from the animal managed systems into the food forest into the orchard systems back up into the um, the little market garden northern area market garden southern area you know even into our social areas and into our water towers where we where we can um, test our our meads and our beers and you know it, 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 everything everything flows through and I think that's where um, you start to get to a stage where you, you you sit back and you see the resilience of your property you know and it all stems back for me it all stems back from building protective systems in place bringing stability in and then and then proliferating just coming back out of that you know I don't know if I'm that as well as oh no, absolutely! It's making complete sense. Uh, you know, I had the same experience on my place. That you know, I was I was this frost pocket and wind tunnel and yeah. all these things. That I could do nothing. I had kangaroos would come in and like beat up all the plants that I until I got the protective systems in place. It, anything that I did would just fall over. And it yeah. was that you know, if I'd had that same, I would give myself the same advice if I was starting. From scratch, so I think it's it's such an important part. You know, it's, it's like yeah. you say that. You know, often the first thing people want to do is go out and buy the seedlings, right? I'm ready to get a garden going. You know, we've got to start. You know, way back, way back yeah. before then. And I think that's one of the brilliant things about permaculture is it does help us to stop and to think and to to plan. And and even when we do plan, we know that there's always something else we learn. And, and that that was something else I think that you said in the film too, which I picked up and I thought, yes, absolutely, that there is no final design. You no, know? no. And so do you want to just talk us about that? Because I think that was a really key point that you mentioned and I really loved that. Well, that was an evolution as well. So when I did my training years back um, through the um, PRI, um, there was – you know, the, there was a mention that they, they used to call it final design. There was that mention in so some some teachers were mentioning final design, and that's a you know that's fine. Um, but what we realised was there couldn't be. Um, so the more I, the more that we networked, the more that we got to meet more people in permaculture. Everybody's saying the same thing, and they're going, "How could how could you get to that? How could you even let anybody know that there is such a thing? You're working with nature; it's ever changing, ever evolving. How can you have a final design? It's not like a house plan." 
So, um, you know, for us, that was um, the light bulb moment for us was I started doing designs back in uh, 2015 for, for some people where I was initially doing consulting, but I started doing a couple of designs for people. Now, I still think design work is important, and I still think some people do require that assistance and absolutely no dramas for all those permaculture people out there doing that. Um, but what we found personally was that I felt there was a couple of things. First of all, I felt like I was giving them a fish rather than teaching them how to fish. And secondly, I felt like I was giving them something that would change the minute they did one of the projects on it. And then how would they adjust to that? So, um, you know, I, I pulled back. I pulled back. And the light bulb moment was when I actually had some elderly people I'd done a design for come back to me and go, hi, Brett, we've done these things you said. It's all worked out, but now this is all different and we can't use it. And I've gone, oh, my God. Damn, I've got to, you know, this is not right. So so we moved into the, we, 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 we took a step back and we said, right, it can only ever be a concept, right? It can only ever be a concept design that has the ability to move in so many different directions. And then you, as the, as either the designer or the consultant or, or the client or, or student or whatever you may be, have the ability to to move with that, mm-hmm. if, you know. So so at the moment when you know, as an example, if you plant a tree, if you do a design and you say, right, I'm going to put in some kind of climax or canopy tree in a certain spot, and then you come back a year later and it's three meters high, and two years later it's six meters high, um, what what was there initially has changed profoundly to, to the extent that um, you know it was relying on everything else around it. Now it is the is the environmental changer you know now everything's relying on it you know if it's making too much shade it might kill something you know if it's if it's not placed properly you know so the 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 situation with that was we then realized that okay when we start doing our pdcs and that's how come how we evolved was that um we started to bring that thinking in right through the whole part of the course that never mind you are not building a house you are you don't you're not doing a structural drawing right? It has to be fluid. It has to be organic. Just roll with it. And, you know, when people come up and go, yeah, I'm not sure about this, we'll go do the best bit of research and and and, and give it the best possible understanding you can, right? And then trial it and then watch it, right? And, and if it needs modification, modify, modify it. Um, but don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let it scare you and don't let it hold you back. I think you're right. You know, I love the way, you know, it's not a building. Building is using materials that are dead and fixed. And when you put them up and you hammer them in, they're going to stay there. Whereas when you plant a tree, the tree grows and things change. It's a living system and it's not just a living thing. It's it's a living system and the system constant is dynamic and it's constantly in flow and flux and change. And and you are part of that system. You are like you're embedded in that and the more you're out there and noticing it, the more you can just kind of, you know, n- notice where you need to tweak things. And and I, I think, yeah, I think I had a similar, I actually went through landscape architecture school back in my, you know, uni days way back when. <laughs> and I got to the end of that and I was sort of scratching my head thinking too, like, you know, this doesn't really make any sense. Like you're designing these things for people and handing it over to maybe like someone who's going to put it in and then, then they just become the consumer of this constructed space. Didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I was more interested too in designing edible landscapes and, you know, natural landscapes. And and I realised too, right, that in order for this to work, people needed to know how to interact with it, how to do it themselves. And so I think this idea of being a design consultant as an educator so you're helping yes. people to design. You're doing That's design exactly right. and educating simultaneously. And even if you are a consultant, that it is kind of almost like a coaching process of how you how you how you see. It's not just designing, constructing. Okay, here's your permaculture design. It's actually working with people to help them to also see it and then be able to interact over time and become part of a a learning community where you've got people you can be learning with and trading with and coming over and going, oh, you know, what? try this over here or try this over here. And and like you're saying, you know, you bring people to your place and they see something and then they go back, oh, I know what I can do at my place. And 
this learning, it's this lifelong learning. And I think that's what you said earlier on. It's what makes it so exciting that there's, it's, there's always something new to learn and everything's always changing and, it, and it's never the same every day. And there's always something new, like a, a new bird might land in your garden. I was just been listening the last couple of nights to the barking owls and out there yeah. watching which trees are they landing in and going out with my head torch trying to spot yeah, them. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's it's just like, wow, did you hear that, Monty, to my eight-year-old? And out, we're out there, yeah. out, so I can, where's the barking owl? Sounds like a dog. <laughs> well, look, honestly, what you said about the, the coaching side of things, it's the only way it can work truly. It has to be a consultancy and, I, and, and in that, in, sorry, it has to be part of a consultancy. So for, for me, and I'm seeing it everywhere now, like it's so good, all, all the educators out there are really, really taking hold of this, um, that you, you're not going there and you're not telling somebody how to do it, right? You're actually educating them and showing them the benefits of doing it. Right, so so for me, it is coaching. It is education all the time, and we and we let them know. So when we offer somebody our services, we tell them we're coming here to really do on-site education, right? And out of that, you you will, depending on the circumstance, you may get a bubble concept style situation or an overlay concept situation that more talks about the connections, the integrations, the the, the mutual benefits, the synergies. Right, rather than saying that's going to go there and you need to plant those five trees with it, yeah, you know, you, you, you've got it. It's about the connection and, and that and, and, and a mutual connection of that. But once they get that, then they start to understand. So, giving them a, giving them a design that is more like a blueprint is helping no one. It's really, just it's one, not. it's at one point in time, really, isn't it? And it's, it's still, a, it's, it's just an idea. In time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like that way too that, you know, it essentially permaculture then is, I mean, there's different dimensions of it, but, you know, essentially like it is, it is a system of education and changing perceptions on how we, yeah. how we think so that then we can, how we can design, how we can share that with other people, that everything we do is a form of education once we're in permaculture, whether it's like, you've got your demonstration farm or whether you're, you know, it's the way that you raise your family within it, that it's an, this immersive learning. It's, yeah. It is about, you know, I've, I've just been doing some studies with um, Fritjof Capra, the, the um, system scientist, and, and basically right at the very core of, of life at a cellular level is saying that what describes life is that, that it's, it's a learning system right from a cellular level. Right from there. And so that so that this whole idea that we learn and we learn in communities, we learn in context with each other, we learn in context with place. It's not like this abstracted thing. It, mm. It's got to be like this totally connected kind of system. So it's one of the good I things would, about being human, beneficial pass down of knowledge, or or sorry, pass down of beneficial knowledge. Yep. That's that was one that's one of the things that does make us great, you know, like uh, you know, the problem is we we've lost some of that. Mm, the the yeah. idea of something learnt, something learnt because of either an error or, or or a good judgment passed down, you know, and then it sort of slowed up mm. in some ways. And that's why we need to regenerate that. We need to reinvigorate that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think permaculture really highlights that. Absolutely. And, and you know, just looking at the plan behind you, you know, it what you've done is really quite remarkable and I think that there's something something very important in what you're doing. You've created this. It's a learning centre. It's, it's your family's place where you live. It's where you get your food. It's a demonstration to people and it's a demonstration about how you can live regeneratively. You can live a kind of a one-planet life on one acre, you know, like you haven't got a 50-acre farm. You haven't got a 100-acre farm. You have one acre. And how much productivity that you can get out of what, how, I mean, how many fruit trees and animals and plants and food and harvest and how many people are coming and getting their local, you know, fresh food from you at the, at the farm gate. One acre. Now, I keep saying that over because it, it's, it's remarkable. And if we all start to think about, well, how much could we all be doing on 
our one egg or quarter egg if we're, you know, in the suburbs or less, you know, that if every single piece of land that we're stewarding, we think about how we can make it a place for people, a place for food, a place for nature, a place for learning, a place for, you know, connecting with nature and and just having really good sense of health and well-being. Um, What an amazing world it would be. And if we could actually compress so much of our footprint on the planet Mm. so that we could allow nature to regenerate, you know, like there's so much of our food just, you know, so much of our planet is taken up by creating food for animals or food for people or food for the industrial system in one way or another, if we could bring back our footprint as much as we possibly could. I think this, you know, this is such a brilliant example. Um, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, really, we're really proud of it. Um, proud in the sense that we've been able to um, see some of our vision come to the forefront. Um, you know, this is something we've been working on for so long to think that, you know, we were sitting back all those years ago at a table and scribbling around and not even knowing what we were going to get, you know, but always thinking about we wanted to stay small. So just to give you a little bit of insight, when we were moving up, it was cheaper to buy five or 10 acres than it was to buy one acre. When back, back in 2010, when we came up here, one acre was hard to come by, mm. right? For some reason, the little one acres were taken up. So we got we got really lucky. We did. We got lucky with that, but it, it wanted us. There's no doubt it wanted us because it stayed on the market and it wanted us. Um, and you know, and when we got here, it, it was one of those things where we took in that um, that again that site sector analysis style of thinking, right? So the analysis analysis thinking where we looked at this place and went, right? Imagine a farm gate there. Jesus Road's quite busy. Um, okay, oh, it faces, it's got a, a, a Norris aspect. And we're looking at all these things. We go, look at the potentials. And that's what life should be about. What's what's the potentials? What, what What's the potential in you? What's the potential of look at my family? Look look what we, we can, look, look what we can do. And it doesn't matter how big or how small. And we talk about all the time about things being scalable, right? So people, the good thing where we come from was we come from 330 square metre property with a house on it which means that that was a it was a little courtyard and a two meter strip out the front of the house and a little tiny strip down the side of the house you know so we know what it's like to come from tight mm-hmm. real time right the, the next stage after us is a is a unit on a veranda right that's the next stage um because there was no grass there was no lawn or anything it was just tiny so we we really gave that a good shot, and we've you know we've got all our old photos, and and at the time you know we had people coming through, so we we know where that that is. So when you know when we're talking to people and anybody listening out to the podcast now, you know, the main thing you got to remember is is that there is always potential, always there is always change that can be made that's going to bring back something more in your life, and it not doesn't have to be always food. It can be beauty. It could be Fragrant smells just blowing through the glass of you, of you, you know. We've worked on, I've done little um, assistance with concepts and stuff where we've set up um, like a perfumery style, you know, um, sensory style um, garden just on a veranda just so they had nice smells mm. coming through, you yeah. know, and something look was, you know. So permaculture is so broad in its in its thinking, which, sorry, it's so broad in its um, in, in its potential, right, that you can, you know, apart from working at community levels, regional levels, country levels, and world levels, you can bring it all the way back down into a tiny little apartment um, veranda, and you can make that something so special that you want to sit out there and have your coffee every morning and truly enjoy it. And people need to know that that that's there. That's that's totally possible. Yeah. You know, you've yeah. just you've just got to have a go. <laughs> you just got so to get I, There's a couple of questions that I really need to ask you because I know listeners will be wanting like. How do you make a living on one acre? Like what are the multiple dimensions? I know that, you, you know, it's not just one thing. Obviously it's not one thing. And I, I know yeah. that myself. I'm, you know, I'm here on one acre as well in, in the eco yeah. religion. There's many different things, that, you know, that make up a livelihood. What are the things that support you? Um, yeah, so for us, it, it, again, you, you're talking about something that's, that's been a transition. 
So um, one of the great photos that we show in our PDC course when, when we're first kicking off was in 2011 um, when, hard, you know, we were just basically bare bones on the ground. Um, we had a little, uh, little fold-down box out the front with a little tin saying your honesty is appreciated and we had veggies out the front. So it started off like the old wheelbarrow-style idea of, of a, a little veggie thing and it brought in a couple of dollars and, you know, it helped us move on to buy more seeds and all the rest of it. But it was a transition. So it started there, right? Then from then from that point where we got to the stage where we built this up, I would say first and foremost, it came from upskilling. Mm -hmm. It came from building your knowledge base. So in so when I was working these jobs, I was doing night school. Um, so I would, you know, I, I I did a diploma in project management because I wanted to know that if I got to the stage of doing permaculture projects, how could I help manage that, right? So you know, and then you know, apart from PDCs and other things, and eventually did the Cert for in permaculture and eventually did the advanced design with David Holgram and Dan Parton. You know, so it's always been learning, 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 and number one rule is you never stop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, that may mean something as simple as watching a video, listening to a podcast, reading a book, right? You can, you can, you can go any level learning as long as you're taking something and knowing more than you did a minute ago, right, or the day before. So. The, the idea of income for us is now we've got to a stage where we've got 11 income streams. And I was taught by a lovely old fella years ago who used to say to me, a South African fella, used to say to me, he goes, Reddy goes, all the income streams, he says, it doesn't matter if that makes a dollar there and a dollar there. He says, as long as it's ethical, and he says, as long as that dollar's still coming, he says, that's just as important as making $100 or $1,000. So we treat each of our income streams, no matter how tiny, as important. Right, so you give respect to your income streams, and basically your in income streams should always be permaculture based. They should always have the ethics and the principles. So the ethics um, prov providing the moral, and the principles providing the roadmap. Mm -hmm. Right, so that's your, that's that that's where that works into your business life. Right, so yeah, you, we live in a world where we still have a you know we still need to pay a mortgage. That's sadly that's life. Um, we do a hell of a lot of bartering. That's part of our income stream. So we do a, a stack of bartering. We have a huge network. Um, and it's amazing. It is, in fact, I can't wait to get to the stage where I never have to even think about moving a dollar ever again. You I think know? that's an amazing thing you're saying that, and you're counting that as, I like that you're counting that as an income stream because oh, it is. Definitely. You know, we, we, we often dismiss that the whole, the gift economy and the sharing economy is like oh. separate. It is actually a core part of, of actually having creating abundance and, and feeling like we have enough and making sure that everyone has enough. You know, that is a key part, isn't it? I can't even put a value to it, Maura. No, I mean, honestly, no, that's true. it is so huge. I mean, we get, you know, we barter for aged venison. We barter for fish and, and, and prawns and oysters. You so know, you get the quality the that you couldn't have, you know, you wouldn't probably wouldn't be able to afford necessarily. No. Oh no, no, and not just that. Some of the things you can't even buy. I know that it's true too. <laughs> right, some things you just can't get in the shop. No, and but these, but remember, it's that old old adage of one person's treasure, another person's well, I won't say junk, but mm. you know, it's it's that they they've got a surplus, they've got an excess, and 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 so what we're finding is as we net as our network grows, um, and we, we're very hands-on and face-to-face -face type people, right? So as this grows, we're getting there and the interactions are just um, humbling. Is That's the best word I can tell It's absolutely humbling. You know, sometimes I'm going, whoa, 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 and they, you know, they're giving me fish and I'm going, I've only got all this, you know, I've only got veg and honey and, and whatever for you. And they're going, no, that's enough. And they're, they're arguing with me. I'm going, but no, you need more, you know. <laughs> I just I also love that about bartering is that you you try not you're not actually trying to push the price down you're always trying to you, give more you price yeah so you just shovel and stuff off to them <laughs> and, and, and they they're so they're going whoa 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 but you're looking what you're about to get and you're going oh my god oh no this isn't enough you know so it's, but isn't it's, that interesting though like when you when you create abundance within a system that you have this sense that I it's not a lack. You know, I have more than I can give. Mm. I, you know, I have more than enough food out in this garden. 
I can give more without it even really making much of a difference to what's going oh. on there, you know? You, you get to the stage where, I mean, look, honestly, um, and this without sounding flippant or anything like we've got to the stage we have got so much food on this property, so mm-hmm. much, that we hand food over many times to, you know, we've taken at different times we've taken bags of foods and a bag of food to cafes or whatever and, and, and even we've even bought it for our dinner. You know, nice. we've even done butters for a dinner. Yeah, like, oh, well, look, we've got a beautiful community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, it's it's just, it's it's a dynamic that you haven't got total control of, and that's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that you could be talking to somebody and they go, oh, I've got something in the car. And they'll go, all right. And they'll, they'll, you go, oh, yeah, wow, and I've got this. And so it can happen at the flash, you know, and, it, and, it's, and, it's, and it's so different to money, you know. It's yeah, so different yeah. to that idea of, paying for something and there's the price you know this is something it's it's fluid you know it's just i love it yeah, yeah. that's absolutely beautiful that's amazing you know yeah. and one of the other questions question. i was going to ask you but in a way that you've kind of you've almost answered this because i was going to ask you how you went during COVID because you know you've got your food system you've got your community network you know there's there was a sense in in many urban areas that there was that there was a fear of the food system breaking and there not being enough and panic yeah. buying. You know, how how did you feel in the midst of all of that time and how did uh, what happened? Did more people start coming out to you saying, help yeah. us to do this? Like, what, what was it like for you? Well, as we all know, COVID was a special period for good and bad reasons. Um, I'd like to think that uh, for every time we have something that is um, a, a, you know, a, an event that puts pressure on the system or puts pressure on us as as, as human beings also can have an uplifting, th- you know, it, it can be something that brings change. So for us, um, what we saw was a huge influx, massive. Um, you know, basically people couldn't move out. So, um, and there was so much that we got to watch. We got to watch yourself, you know, the Zoom stuff that was going on. There was so much um, movement happening. Um, without actual bodies moving around on the ground. And that was fantastic. But the other part we got was people then emailing us and ringing us and texting us. I mean, at one stage we were doing 35 a night. It was nuts. I mean, that's, this was crazy stuff. But it was, it was uplifting. It was over, overwhelming but uplifting. And it was, that, it was people asking, saying, so when we get back on deck, how can we do what you're doing? How, what, you know? And so in the meantime, we set up these little packages where we would, in an, just an email package, we'd go, here's some good books to read. Watch these websites. Check these podcasts. Dun, dun, dun. And so, so we got to the stage where we were just pumping that out every night, just Excellent. flat out. So yeah. whilst we couldn't directly assist straight off the bat, we, we got the ball rolling. Yeah, and we, and, we, and we always speak about locality. So we, now we had people, oh, God. I, we were getting emails from France and Portugal and, you know, all over the shop. Oh, amazing, like India everywhere. And even we've even got to the stage where we've managed to find some of the texts um, for different books in their language. So obviously we know some of them like the the, the designers, manual, but I end up finding some other inf- information. Plus we end up finding some of the educators in their region. So we set up these little folders on our, on our desktop. So somebody from... Portugal come in and boom, 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 and I go, right, where you at? And I look you on a map and and I do a, use a translator to translate back and push that in. And so we were sending this stuff off flat out. So we were doing this and we weren't even letting people know that we were doing it. We were just doing it. Yeah. And and we did this all the way through last year. Now we did it with our locals too. So we did it with all um with the, throughout the region and then in the interstate. And we were also saying to them at the time, we're going, Yes, thanks for coming to us, but you're in Queensland, right? Well, you need to check out Mike Wardell, save us all. You know, you're in northern New South, New South Wales, you need to check out more, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we were pumping that out flat out as well. So this was a big part of our emails were people reaching out and, and going, okay, this isn't acceptable. Um, we're not happy with this situation and we've just realised how um, vulnerable we are at the moment, right? So. So we're wanting to make change, and I go, well, "You've already made the first step. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for coming, right?" And then, then we started pumping information, and then later on, as it started to settle down, and people were let it start coming back into our farm tours and courses, 
some of these people would turn up. So, you know, like we, we'd have some of these people come in here, you know, come to a place um, for, as I say, whether it be private tours or far, uh, public farm tours or small courses or whatever it might be. So this has been a an impactful event um, and it's one part of a, of a group of events for us. So you know yourself, living, um, living where you live, that all up and down the coast we've had the worst fires, mm-hmm. the worst flood, the worst drought, and a COVID just to throw in on the mix, right? Yeah. So it's enough to start, you know, giving us a little slap in the face and going, come on, I'm trying to tell you something here. This is nature saying, watch me. You know, you knew, you guys need to start getting your act together. Yeah, and people up. actually yeah. started to, to to listen to that and wake up to that. So we've had a massive influx and it's mm. been brilliant. And everybody I talk to, so, you know, I, I I talk to our peer, my peers in Queensland and Victoria and Western Australia and, you know, and, and everybody's saying the same thing. So, yes, it was a tough event and, and, and a sad event for some people, um, but there were there's things to be taken out of it that I think are going to empower people, move people forward, and, and it was, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. Mm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's... It's just wonderful what what you just described that you did, and and I it's what I find is interesting is that when you have that sense of resilience and security, and you 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 you're kind of settled in, you got your place set up, you've intentionally done that. So when there's when there's a crisis like that, you are grounded enough to be able to then be the one that's in that position of doing the community service work and reaching out and that people are seeing that that that's kind of like a beacon of, of safety or security or what is the possible future and trying to find out more. And, and, you know, that's so great that you, you know, that you had the time or you made the time, you know, into your yeah. evenings just because, not, mm. not for any other reason, but just because it matters that people have access to this information. It absolutely does. You can't. You know, we never we never knock back an email. I mean, if it comes through, we're going to respond to it. Yeah. Um, and and look, just touching on a point on, um, you know, the the um, the importance of um, taking from our strengths. So using our strengths. So okay, my strength these days is to be an educator in permaculture, and and more importantly, the part that I focus on in permaculture because obviously there's people that know a lot more about you know the socio um side of things and the philosophical side of things so i'm more into that demonstrative design style setup you know like and building systems i i i love it i get super excited right (laughs) various living systems and making systems just function and work well start them off and then they work themselves out yeah. But but what I what I was actually getting back to was that that's my strength. Now during the fires, I had my local community and their some of their strengths were they were firefighters and they saved my plot, they saved our area, you know. And then during the floods, um, we had people who who had strengths in that. So everybody, you know, you come to the fore with the things that 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 are within you that you feel empowered and confident by. And I've seen that through all the events. So when it got to COVID, that was my time. <laughs> you know, I think I think you you've just you've really hit the nail on the head with that, and that it's not about going and hiding away on your one acre as a, like doing your own thing. You mm. are very much this part of this web of strength that a community brings, and that it, you are as you are as strong in your place as your community is strong. And, you know, it's really about community um, resilience more than self-sufficiency. And I think what you've just said brings that so much to the fore. Yeah. Yeah, look, for me, you've just touched on a point for me too. So it's talked about much. Now, we do on our websites and stuff, you know, we talk about self-sufficiency. And I think it's important still to have that in the game, but being aware that it's only part Mm-hmm. Of of what this whole big picture is about, because the reality is, we we as a species cannot live. We cannot be alone. We cannot be disconnected. We cannot be not integrated. 
You know, so we we actually have got absolutely no choice but to work it out together, yeah. right? And that's and I'm not being fluffy about it. this. Is the absolute truth because I've seen what happens firsthand. I have seen a farmer who was who went off grid and was trying to do the right thing. Had a beautiful young family, was into the game for a few months, you know, and living in a remote area, tough, tough, tough to start with, but trying to be trying to be that real out you know, that real off-grid thing and he broke both his legs when the tractor rolled over him and that was game over for a long period of time but guess what happened he was he was disconnected he's a fantastic guy but he was disconnected um at the time you know wouldn't have noticed but disconnected a little bit from his community but then when this happened it was the community that came together to help him sort everything out and so it, we were involved too, so you know, seed packages, plant packages, um, the assistants coming in helping the wife. Boom, boom, boom. Mm. Now he could not have done that without that that help. So how could you ever be sustainable on your own? How could you ever be truly self sufficient without mm. having that community connection? You can't. No, you can't. You can't. Mm. Well, oh gosh, thank you so much. It's been. Such a delight talking with you today. I wonder whether before we end up, like where can people find out more information about all the stuff that you do? Tell us what your all your links are. And I'll also put them down below in the link, but maybe just tell us now as well. So on our website, um, you can on our website, www.limestonepermaculture.com, uh, you can find our uh, upcoming events. You can find out more information about us. Uh, there's um, our local accommodation around the area and 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 what we do within the community. Um, you can also find on our um, other Facebook page, which is Simply Homesteading. Um, look for Simply, uh, I think it's just Simply Homesteading. Yeah, I should know that better, shouldn't I? It's my wife's Facebook page, but more importantly, it's a page that comes in under Limestone Permaculture where everything is just given back to our community, given back to our greater Facebook community, and it's just stacks of recipes, um, highlighting what you can do with the produce off your farm, off your off your garden, even out of your bathtub, <laughs> yeah, garden bathtub that is. Um, so you know, there's there's a stack of information there on our website too. We have a resources section, and we put together a manual on how we do wicking beds. Uh, we've had a um, a collaboration with a lovely elderly couple that have been in permaculture for 28 years, and um, we've designed our own style of wicking beds, which are very interesting. Um, and um, also you'll find uh, plans and, and how to do things in the way of exclusion tunnels. Everything's in there that we believe is important to us on our farm and it may assist you a little bit with what you want to do. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Well, like I said before, I'm going to put all these links down below. So if you want to follow up anything that Brett's talked about and then, you know, of course, you know, if you live somewhere nearby, maybe you want to, join up on one of the tours or courses because it's you know yeah. seeing what you've done there you know actually like hearing it or watching it on happen films i'll put the link to the happen films as well because you've got two of those haven't you and that you just do the end one <laughs> <laughs> but you know seeing it or hearing it is is one thing but actually you know being in it and walking it smelling and tasting and and, and the immersion of that that's yeah that's amazing Gosh, thank you so much again, Brett, for, for taking the time today to, to talk with me. And, um, you know, hopefully one day I'll be able to come down and, and uh, walk your garden with you as well. That would be wonderful. My pleasure, Morag. Yeah. And you're always welcome. And I hope you can make it down sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. All right. Well, take care. Thanks so much, Brett. Thanks, Morag. Bye. Bye. So that's all for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Head on over to my YouTube channel, the link's below, and then you'll be able to watch this conversation, but also make sure that you subscribe because that way you'll be notified of all new films that come out. And also you'll get notified of all the new, all the new interviews and conversations that come out. So thanks again for joining us. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.